You are listening to the Uncanceled Podcast. We believe that Jesus came to set you free and nothing can cancel the truth of God's word. Now here's your host, the youth pastor of Impact Youth at Faith Church in New Milford, Connecticut, Pastor Joey Santora. What is going on, Uncanceled? How are you guys doing? There Thank you so much for tuning in. Man, I think it's been a couple weeks since I've been uh, on here. What is it, two or three or something like it's that? at least three. Yeah, I did my sister's wedding and then uh, my wife's cousin's wedding, and now I'm back and uh, I'm ready to go. I got some good things I want to talk to you about in the next uh, coming podcast. Uh, today I'm going to be talking about the difference between a Catholic and a Protestant. Um, Next week, uh, I think, I'm not certain on this, but I think I'm going to be addressing the age-old question uh, around this time of year. Should a Christian celebrate Halloween? Mm. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be talking about that one. Uh, and uh, yeah, I got some exciting things I want to talk to you guys about. But uh, today... Some other exciting things. It's very exciting because we are back. We are back. With... Rate That... Oreo. Oreo. Come on. It's like we didn't even miss a beat. Come on now. Dude, how much was this? I don't know. I'm just looking at it. Man, like like they charge a lot. And they, they have to because, well, because of like like uh imports and stuff like right. that. So why? Because you know, I was at the mall uh two days ago and I passed by, you know, our favorite store. Woof. And I said, I just gotta get one. Uh, you know, like let's let's make it happen. So uh this is a raspberry and blueberry Oreo from China. We're I love back. it. We're back with the foreign love stuff. Love it from China. Let's see. Let, let's see how it is. I'll tell you what, man. Um, raspberry and what? Blueberry. Raspberry and blueberry. What? Let's see. I'm gonna might have to might have to take the wrapper off before a sniff test is efficient. Sometimes it like bleeds right through the wrapper, man. It's, it's crazy, man. Crazy. I'm just gonna like go for a rip because like. Yep. There it is. What do we think? Let me let me guess this. Oh, oh. Uh, I don't really know what. You know I what I? You know what I got hit with What's almost that? immediately? Uh, double bubble. I know you oh, know double man. bubble. I do know double bubble. Ben, uh, Ben's saying that because I played baseball. A little bit uh, racist. No, I'm just kidding. It has nothing to do with race. <laughs> Oh, man. No, wow. I don't know about this, man. I don't know, man. I don't really know. This is kind of wow. crazy. The smell is not promising. Oh, man. Are you going to go like right in the middle? I'm just going to stuff the whole thing in my mouth. Oh, okay. I want the whole effect. Oh, okay. Ready? Cool. Yeah, let's do it. Go. Mm. Tell me I didn't hit it on the head. I'm not. Hmm. Did you? Mm. I feel like I did, man. My goodness. Did it like hit you back here? Back here? Yeah, like you know how like sometimes flavors like hit you in the back of your tongue? No. I'm sorry. I can't help you out here. I like. <laughs> it's like that sour taste in the back of your mouth. Somebody watching is going to understand exactly what I'm talking about. Probably. I hope they do. My wife, my wife says that but, sometimes uh, too. Dude, I like. You can disagree with me, but I really just feel like I like somebody put a piece of double bubble gum in between two Oreo cookies, and that's what I just bit into. Okay, so I could understand that. For me, I really didn't get a lot of filling. It kind of no, like it's pretty thin. It's pretty thin, and 
I did taste the raspberry blueberry. I didn't taste as much of a bubblegum taste, but it kind of had that same, like, almost like sweetness of a double bubble that, that, that you that you were getting. Yeah. You know, I'm very experienced with chewing bubblegum. No, I know. Uh, so, um, you know. Because of baseball, not because of, like. Not you know, because of race. Right. Not because. <laughs> yeah, Italians are big bubblegum chewers. Uh, but, um, yeah, uh, to be honest with you, it's just like I, I didn't really even enjoy eating that. Like, I'll be no, honest with you. I don't you. think like, it's very good. I was just good. like, okay, fine. I, I, I didn't like it. Like, there's a reason I just put it away. I Like, I wouldn't eat another one. No, I wouldn't. Like, I would honestly, like. Let's put it this way. If I was really in the mood for Oreos and I had these in front of me or I had to drive 10 minutes down the road to go get another thing of Oreos, yeah. I'd drive the 10 minutes because no, it's pretty bad. Um, here's the difference, though. Here's what I'm thinking on this, right? There's, it was bad, but, like, wasn't unbearable. No, it wasn't unbearable. It just wasn't good. No, it like really it, wasn't. There's, like, directions. Like, how to dunk it in milk? What do what we, like? Yeah, three-step process. I mean, kind of cool. This is like, oh, it's like how to twist it. It's like I twist. It's it. like to twist it off and separate it. I don't know. What? I don't think milk would make it any better. No. Um, it's certainly not better than a regular Kinda Oreo. It tastes like a high chew, bro. Dude, I'm telling you. What in the world is going on right now? It's it's very gummy for me. It's kind of yogurty, a little bit too, maybe. I don't sure. Know. It's like just, it's it, just the not texture that good. is weird. Like the te- like the I think that the filling texture is a is a different texture than a regular Oreo. So like something that me and Ben will say sometimes is JB. JB. Just yeah. bad. This is a JB. This is a JB. It's just bad. Um apparently it has uh 24% of whatever that Chinese word is right there. Um hopefully it's protein. <laughs> yeah. Uh macros are probably not great on this. Uh anyway, um nonetheless, I think that we're we're belaboring the point at this point. Just not really that great. Yeah. Like almost like some some things are like flavorful enough that they're worth a try just to experience it. I wouldn't even recommend wasting no, your money. No, because on it. it's not even like that strong of raspberry blueberry in my opinion. It's whatever. Yeah. It's just like okay. Whatever, man. Hey. Whatever, man. That's another thing <laughs> that we that that we say um, the boys, you know. Shout out to JFAR. Yep. I'm at like a three and a half. Yeah, it's just not good, man. Because I certainly wouldn't eat any more, but it isn't like, it isn't like awful. Horrendous, yeah. It's, yeah, it's not like I, I hate I wish it I could give it something it. different just to be like a little different and like create some, di- like you can hear the disappointment in my voice <laughs> right now. Like this is just like really sad. Um, and I really just don't have any more to say than just like, China do better uh, in a lot of areas. China. I'm sure that they will. That's the thing. Uh, there are a lot of different uh, flavors <laughs> at 203 Exotics from not America yeah. um, that we're going to dive into. Uh, China's just not it, man. Um, wow. Like, you're, uh, like, like Chinese people are great. Like, I'm not saying anything about the people. I just mean, like, even, like, the government over there. Oh, like, sure. like, you know, I'm just I'm just going to say it, man. Just, just, just not good. Just JB from them, too. Did you give it a rating? Uh, three and a half. Okay. I mean, whatever, man. I'm just, I'm disappointed. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully we'll have something a little bit better next week. I mean, bro, you know what, bro? I should get, I should get my favorite flavor next week. What? Oh, uh, what was it? 
S'mores? Yeah, the s'mores flavor, man. It's the s'mores Oreo is one of my favorites. Uh, we can do that. I'd be curious to see how Ben, what Ben thinks about it. But to be honest with you, like it's it's absolutely meta to me. I love it so much. I'd rather eat it than like a regular Oreo. Probably we'll see though tomorrow. We'll see though. Oh yeah, would you prefer this over a regular Oreo? Oh, I already said no. absolutely not. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. No not. way. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in to rate, rate that. that. Oreo. Come on now. Come on. All right. Let's, uh, this is your timestamp right here. All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in to the Uncanceled podcast today. Uh, today I want to talk about something that I would almost, if I had an FAQ as a youth pastor, I would put this on my FAQ. What is FAQ for those of you guys that don't know? Frequently asked questions. This is one of the most frequently asked questions that I get as a youth pastor. Of a, of a Protestant church. Uh, some of you are like, I don't even know what that means. We'll, we'll get into it in, in a second. But the, so basically, people ask me all the time, what is the difference between like a Catholic and a Christian? That's usually how the question is phrased for me. What is the difference between a Catholic and a Christian? And I think it's funny that that's the way that they phrase it uh, because, um, you know, it, it is possible for somebody who is a Catholic to also be a Christian. They are just a different branch of Christianity, I guess you could say. Um, now, granted, not every Catholic, you know, is saved automatically just because they're Catholic. That doesn't that doesn't make somebody saved uh, just because you join the Catholic Church. The, some Catholic churches may disagree with that statement, but uh, the Bible disagrees with that statement that just because you join a Catholic Church that you're saved. Um, but let, let's deal with this right here. This will be fun. This will be fun. Um, let's start here. Let's start here. Where did, where did Catholicism and Protestantism even come from? Where, where did it come from? Well, Catholicism was not the early church. Many Catholic people will argue that the reason why the Catholic church is correct is because they are the earlier of the two. Now, I will give this nod. The Catholic church it, uh, was, uh, came before the Protestant church. That is true. Nonetheless, though, is the Catholic Church what we're basing, what we believe on, just because it is a uh, it, it is the earlier of the two? No. The church that we want to base on is the early church. What is the early church? The early church is the churches that are written about in this book right here, the Bible. So we have the church in uh, we have the, the early church in Acts that was being started and developed. We have uh, the Corinthian church. We have the Roman church. We have the Ephesian church. We have, uh, the, we have the Philippian church. So when we're talking about the type of church that we want to have, we should want a church that is closest to the word of God. We want a church that is closest to the Bible, not closest to which was first, Catholic or Protestant. That really is an irrelevant point uh, because we want to be close to what the Bible says. And ultimately, that should be our source. If we're really arguing, you know, what? well, we want to be closest to the church that was first. Okay, let's go back to the early church then in the Bible. That's what we're going to go back to. And so basically what happened is in the year 1517, there was a guy named Martin Luther. Now, it's very sad that many people do not even know who that guy is because they think that Martin Luther is Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr. was a very different person than Martin Luther. 
Martin Luther was alive, what what would that be? I mean, man, what four hundred years earlier than than him around that? Because uh, Martin Luther was uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was alive uh, in the nineteen. 50s, 1960s, like around that time is when he was uh, when he was uh, promoting civil rights. Uh, Martin Luther was around in 1517. So yeah, we have about a 400 year gap, or maybe even more, between the two of them. So uh, Martin Luther, there was this guy, and he started to read the Bible, this book right here, and he started to go. Hold on, there are some things in this Bible that the Catholic Church is doing that. I do not think is biblical. And so he took this thing called the 95 thesis and he nailed it to the door of the Catholic church. And he basically said, here are the 95 things right here. Here are 95 things that I have an issue with that I think that the Bible says otherwise about. And this led to the kickstart of something called the Protestant Reformation. There is a quick history lesson, but it actually will matter in discussing Catholicism versus Protestantism. So let's start here. Any church, well, I should be careful in saying that. Most denominations are not Catholic. If a church is Catholic, it will say Catholic church. Okay, that's, that, that's pretty straightforward. <clears throat> but the denominations such as Baptist, Pentecostal, Assemblies of God, all, all those types of churches, they are Protestant churches. They are Protestant churches, meaning that they adhere to, uh, the, uh, they adhere more, not perfectly, but more to the beliefs of the Protestant Reformation than they do of the Catholic Church. Now again, let's deal with this with this book right here. Let's deal with it with this book. That's what we're going to do right now. We're going to deal with what the Bible has to say. But first, we're going to establish what the differences between the two are. We're going to start here. The Protestant view of salvation. The Protestant view of salvation is someone is saved by grace through faith. The Catholic view of salvation is that someone is saved by faith and works. By faith and works. So it's not by faith alone, it's by faith plus works. Again, I'm not going to get into which one is right and which one is wrong biblically right now. I will in a second. Next, Protestants believe that you should pray to God alone. You should pray to God alone. Catholics believe in prayer to God, but they also believe in prayer to Mary and the saints. The Virgin Mary or Mother Mary, uh, they believe in prayer to her and to the saints. Next, Catholics or Protestants believe that when you die, you will either either go to heaven or to hell. Catholics also believe in heaven and hell, but they believe that there is a, um, how do I put this? There is a middle place between heaven and hell called purgatory. What is purgatory? Okay, I'm glad you asked. Uh, Purgatory is basically, like I said, it is a waiting place between heaven and hell. Basically, it's, okay, you know, you were pretty good in your life and you did a good amount of works, but not quite enough to be able to get into heaven just yet. So you're going to hang out in purgatory. And I'm simplifying this very much. You're going to hang out in purgatory. And when you hang out in purgatory, you're going to chill there 
and you're going to, you know, do some good works there and people are going to pray for you uh, while you're in purgatory and hopefully one day you'll make it into heaven at some point. That is the Catholic view of, of uh, the afterlife is that yes, there's heaven and hell, but there's also this place called purgatory. Whereas the Protestant view is no, you either go to heaven, or you go to hell. There is no middle place between the two. We'll get into that a little bit later. But again, that is the view that, uh, <coughs> that Catholics, that a Catholic would hold to. The next one is papal infallibility, papal infallibility. Uh, Protestants believe that the Bible is the only infall- is the only thing or are the only infallible source of God's word. Catholics would agree to a degree, and they would also add in there. Uh, some some would even add in there that church tra- tradition also should count into that. But also papal infallibility, meaning that when whenever the Pope talks about the Bible, the Pope is never wrong. So if the Pope talks about the Bible, they can simply never be wrong when discussing Bible doctrine. Lastly, and this one is an interesting one, confession. Protestants believe that when you sin, that you ought to confess your sin to God and ask him to forgive you of your sin. Catholics believe that too, but they also believe in a sacrament called confession where you literally go and you confess your sins to a priest and the priest will give you uh, a certain amount of prayers you need to pray, whether it's, you know, five Hail Marys, six Our Fathers, whatever. And if you say those prayers, you're all good. Okay. That is ultimately, those are some main differences. Now there are some other differences as well, but we're going to get into these main differences. Let's start here. Excuse me. Let's start with the first guy. Okay. The Catholic belief that someone is saved by faith plus works. Now, I am Protestant in in my belief or I I you know I would be more Protestant in in, in what I believe, you know, this uh, this is a church that I guess you you would consider a Protestant church uh because not a Catholic church. But my marriage is not to any type of grouping. My marriage is to the word of God. Whatever this Bible says is what I'm going to believe. That's, that, that's the reality. Whatever the Bible says is what I'm going to believe because Jesus Christ is the word of God. And so I believe upon him. I believe upon this word. It is God's word. Now, is faith plus works Actually, I need to address one more thing. That's right. Catholics don't even exactly have the same Bible as us. We have less books in our Bible than they do. There are added works that Catholics have in their Bible referred to as the Apocrypha. These are uh, books that uh, are extra lit- extra books that are that they add into their Bible, and that's going to matter in a second. Let's start here. Someone is saved uh, by faith plus works. I adamantly disagree that someone is saved by faith plus works. Here's why. Because I believe the Bible adamantly disagrees with it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9. Here's what the Bible says about your salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. Lest any man or anyone should boast. So like, maybe I should just like read that again. 
for by how am I saved? It's, it's, it's as if I literally asked that question to the Bible and it just like, I, how am I saved? And it, it just, here's the answer. For by grace, you have been uh, saved. Oh, okay, so by grace, through faith. Okay, so I, there's faith. And it's not of myself. Okay, so I didn't do anything. It's a gift from God. Okay, it's from God, not of works. Okay, so I can't do anything to be able to earn it, lest anyone should boast. Ready? Now, I am a... Uh, I understand different perspectives because I've studied them. So here's what a Catholic would rebuttal with this. <clears throat> they would say, well, hold on one second, Pastor Joey Santora. You know, why are you married? You're a pastor. No, I'm just, uh, uh, that, that's, that's just, a, just a joke. So, some people want it. We'll get it. Anyway, <laughs> so they would say, the Bible also says, that faith without works is dead. And James says that someone is not, uh, actually, I'm going to read you the exact, exact scripture. Someone, sorry, I don't know the exact reference. Let's see. Okay, here we go. James 2.24. So you see, we are shown to be right with uh, with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Oh, so hold on one second. James is now saying that, wait, you're not made right with God by faith alone. Now I'm confused. How does this make any sense? You literally just read me Ephesians 2, 2, 8 through 9, where it says that salvation is not of works, but James makes it sounds like, sound like works is what justifies you. So a Catholic would say, hold on, but what about that text in James? Catholic would further say, isn't faith a work? Isn't faith a work? And, and lastly, a Catholic would also argue that there's an apocryphal text called Tobit that says that somebody is saved through almsgiving. There's another work. Okay, let's break this thing down. First, let's start here. Faith is not a work. Because faith is doing some, uh, a work is doing something to earn your salvation. Faith is not doing something to earn your salvation. Faith is simply receiving the gift in which God has given to us. Faith is simply turning our back on sin. It's not a work. It's not something that we're trying to do to earn the approval of salvation. Rather, it is something that it is actually faith if we really look at it. Bible says that each of us has been given a measure of faith. The a very fact that you can believe in Jesus Christ is by the grace of God. That you even can believe upon Jesus Christ. The very fact that you can even put your faith in Christ is the grace of God. The grace of God. And so actually your ability to be able to have faith, saving faith, actually comes from God. Actually comes from God and then have the ability to put that faith in God, that they have a choice to be able to put their faith upon Christ and be saved. And so to say that faith is a work, faith is not me doing uh, an action to earn something. That's the key. You know, if, you know, what a Catholic would say is, you know, you have to, you know, do a certain amount of almsgiving or that almsgiving is giving to the poor uh, in order to be saved. That's me physically earning it by doing something. All I'm doing is using the faith that God has given me and believing upon him. Jesus did all the work. I'm simply using my faith and receiving it, okay? Second, let's address James. This is where a lot of Protestant people miss it. And if you are in my youth group, Impact Youth, you know that I preach this. I, I preach this strongly. I believe that the Bible is clear. 
that, that it is an expectation that if somebody is a child of God, that they ought to produce fruit, that they ought to produce fruit. That if somebody is really a Christian, I talked about this last week, that they're not going to live this lifestyle of wickedness because the Bible says that if anybody uh, deliberately continues in sin after receiving the knowledge of truth, that there's no longer a sacrifice for their sins. That's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 through 27. So the Bible's clear about that. The Bible is clear about there is a standard in which somebody is to be saved. And now going back to that text in James, James's point in his entire epistle, in his entire writing, his point is, listen guys, faith without works is dead. And I happen to agree with James because James was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and was writing the word of God. So there's really no point for me to disagree with. But what James is trying to communicate is this fact. James is trying to communicate that if you really say you're a Christian, then you ought to produce fruit. You ought to produce works. That there are works that follow in Christian. Ready? It's kind of like this. If I say I planted an apple tree, but no apples even try to grow, then it ain't an apple tree. It doesn't matter how many times I say it's an apple tree. If it doesn't even attempt to produce apples, then it is not an apple tree. Right? That would make sense. If, you know, I, you know, plant a blueberry bush, and no blueberries are produced. I must not have a blueberry bush. Either I'm, or I'm doing something wrong. But I must, I must not have a blueberry brush, bush. How do you know? You know by the fruit that it produces. In the same way, you know that a Christian is really a Christian by the fruit that they produce. And so what James is saying is he's saying, listen, you're not, you're not justified if you don't have any works. You're not. You're not justified if you don't have any works. Why? Because if, if you really and truly receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you ought to be producing works. And if you're not producing them, then you're not really saved. That's what James is saying. That's harsh. That's strong. A lot of Protestant people won't teach it. Well, how many of you guys know that it doesn't matter anything that we do in this life? You know, nothing, none of that really matters. That's not entirely true to preach that. That what you do in this life, you know, really doesn't matter at all for, for salvation. You can just do whatever you want. You can live in as much sin as you want and you don't have to, you know, there's no works that should produce. No, rather it should happen naturally that good works produce out of you because you have truly received Jesus Christ as your savior. Now, don't miss me here. I'm not saying that I, I agree with the Catholic view that we're saved by faith plus works. I believe what the Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith. That's what I believe. It's not of works. I do believe that 110%. I believe that. Uh, that that's, I believe that because that's what the Bible says. However, I am saying if someone is really genuinely saved, they should be producing works. They should. And that's what James is getting at in that text. And so to take it to the extreme that you have to do all these things in order to receive salvation is to not be understand uh, is not to be understanding the text properly. How you should understand the text is, okay, I am saved, therefore I should produce fruit. Right? If an apple tree is really an apple tree, it'll produce apples. I think you get my point. I think you get my point. Next. Prayer to Mary and the saints. I'll be honest with you, this one's really not all that complicated. Um, I'll be nice because maybe like, you know, I don't know, maybe like 
some somebody will like send this to their to their friend that's a Catholic. I'll I'll be honest with you. Most Catholics don't even know what they believe. Okay, that that that's really the truth. You talk to somebody that that is that is a Catholic, and yeah, I'm Catholic. Oh, you know, do, you know, do you do the X Y? You know, purgatory and all. They have no idea what they're talking about. They just go to Catholic church. That's it. They go on Christmas and Easter and, you know, they go through and then, you know, their parents, they bring them, they go to church while confirmation is taking place or, you know, while they're going through CCD and then after CCD is over and they get their confirmation. Great. I'm going to heaven now. And that's it. I'm serious. Listen, I'm not saying this from someone that doesn't have experience. I have friends and my family was Catholic. My family was Catholic, Catholic. both my grandparents, both sides were Catholic. I understand how this thing works. Yeah, you know, we go to we go to CCD and you know, we you know, yeah, okay, we know we're confirmed and now now I'm all set. I'm confirmed by the church. I'll go to heaven. Incorrect. And eh, wrong. Anyway, I don't even know why I said that. Next, prayer to Mary and the saints. Here's how Jesus tells us to pray. I'll be honest with you. There's not one scripture in the Bible that says that you should pray to Mary or the saints. There's just not like I, I'm hear me on this. You heard me on my last point. I showed you where Catholics get the viewpoint that faith plus work saves you. I was fair. I was honest and I dealt with it. It's not like I didn't, I, you know, I didn't acknowledge that, that, that it was fair. You, you know, that, that, uh, well, I didn't acknowledge, I acknowledge that they were getting it from the text. I really and truly do not see this anywhere in the text. It's nowhere to be found. And what it was taught to me by my grandparents, again, I'm talking about people that were, that were Catholic again. People back then knew a little bit more about their Catholicism than they do today. But they would say basically the idea was one of two things. Either, and some Catholics will grimace, grimace that really know what I'm talking about when they hear me say this. Uh, but, you know, first, you know, Jesus is too busy. So, you know, you should go to his mother. That's, you, that's not usually a academic Catholic view. The more academic view is the second view. That it's Jesus, Jesus, that's Jesus' mother. We're going to go to his mother and make our request to him. And so our request will be more pleasing to Jesus because that's his mother. Basically in a nutshell. And so they pray to Mary, they pray to saints, all that stuff. Here's what Jesus says to pray. Jesus in Matthew chapter six, I'm, I'll turn there in, in my Bible. I've been, I've been quoting scriptures to you. I haven't been actually opening and turning there. And I hope you've been fact checking me. I always, listen, I'm a Bible guy. I'm Bible man. Okay. I like, you know, like the show that maybe somebody, uh, none of you watched it when you were a kid. Maybe like, maybe like my generation did. But anyway, Matthew chapter six, Jesus says, pray like this. Mary, who art now, oh, no, it doesn't say that. Um, St. Joseph, oh, no, it doesn't say that either. Oh, it says, our Father in heaven. Oh, it says, our Father in heaven. May your name be kept holy. So let me get this straight. Jesus told us to pray to who? Our Father, who art in heaven. Oh, so like, there really shouldn't be much contention here, to be honest with you. Because it's like, that's what Jesus said to do, is to pray to God. None of the apostles or the disciples in the scripture prayed to, prayed to Mary. Oh, you know, oh, Virgin Mary. No, they, they didn't pray to Mary. They didn't do that. 
That's, that's not in the Bible. And the reality is, is that, uh, is that, um, is that Jesus tells us to pray to the father, to pray to the father or pray to God. The only prayers that should be offered up are prayers to God, the Trinity. That's it. Because that's what Jesus said to do when he said, when you pray, pray like this. Now, now, and so people would argue, you know, praying to Mary is because people believe Mary can mediate or talk to Jesus for us. I would say there's a problem with that too. Well, you know, we are still praying to God, but we're just, you know, going through Mary. Why would you do that when 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, there's one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is our mediator with God. We pray to the Father in Jesus' name. That's what the Bible says. That's it. Now, I want to be clear here because a lot of Catholics, you know, they, they right now, they, they'd be very angry if they're listening to this. How dare you insult the Virgin Mary? You know, that was the mother of our Lord. Let me start here. I'll make you a little more mad at me and then I'll, and then I'll uh, make you less mad at me. Mary was no different. Oh, this is going to make some people's blood boil. Mary is a human being. Mary is a human being. However, However, she should be respected as a woman of honor, a woman of integrity, a woman of respect. Mary should not be dishonored in the way that she's spoken about. Same way that when we speak about men and women of God, they should not be dishonored when spoken about. The apostle Paul shouldn't be dishonored when spoken about. The the apostle Peter, these were people of God. Your pastor shouldn't be spoken of in dishonor. Mary is is someone who was favored by God. The scripture says she was highly favored. That uh, that the angel said uh, that you are highly favored. Praise God. Like she was a wonderful woman. Don't mistake me on that. I'm not saying she was like a terrible woman. But guess what? Jesus died on the cross for the Virgin Mary too. Jesus needed to die for her too. She didn't get a free pass just because, oh, well, you know, she bore Jesus. She didn't get a free pass. Mary still, believe it or not, sinned in her life that she was still a sinner that was in need of saving. And we praise God. We know that one day we're going to see Mary, uh, Mary, you know, in heaven and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I, to be honest with you, I bet you if, if Mary was hearing me right now, that she would dis- that she would be like, yeah, that's right. Stop sending your prayers up here to me. She, she ain't hearing, she ain't hearing you guys anyway, uh, that, that, that pray to Mary. I'll just be honest with you. But, but, you know, it, when you get there someday, she's going to get there and people are going to be like, Mary, what's going on? You know, I'm praying to you for years. She's going to be like, really? I didn't get nothing. I didn't hear you. What you talking about? You prayed to me? Why were you praying to me for? What were you talking to me for? It's, th- there's no scripture in the Bible that, that says to pray to Mary or any type of saint. There just isn't. Sorry to burst, your, burst anyone's bubble on that. To be honest, if you're watching this podcast, I'm probably not bursting your bubble. I'm just explaining to you the Bible right now, and you're probably okay with it. Anyway, um, and, and I want to be clear. Th- there's a lot of good Catholic people. I don't want you to think that just because I disagree with Catholicism, uh, as some beliefs in Catholicism, that I think that there's like, they're all bad people that are all going to die, you know, that, that should all like die. Like, I'm not, I'm not like against like, like Catholic people. I'm not against any people. I love all people. Why? Because God loves all people, right? And so there's plenty of good Catholic people that are out there right now. There are, there are some Catholic people that are saved, that genuinely know the Lord Jesus Christ, that genuinely follow the faith. I understand all of that. 
Okay? All I'm doing is addressing these ideas that are not biblical from the Catholic Church. Next, purgatory. So again, I'm going to be fair. Where does the idea of purgatory come from? It's actually in the Bible. that The idea of purgatory. In uh, the story of Lazarus and the rich man, there, uh, th- there seems to be this holding place that uh, called Abraham's bosom, where Lazarus, the poor man in this life, is with Abraham, and he's like on the good side of of the holding place, and the rich man, he's on the bads, or he he's uh, he's in in hell, and so he's in hell, and there's this holding place that is above. It's not heaven, and then there's hell, and this this says there's a great chasm that separates the two of them, and so. Lazarus is in this holding place and the rich man is in hell. And so what, what's happening is that they're communicating with each other, all this stuff. And so the Catholic, the Catholic people could argue, well, see, there's the holding place. Here's what is missed. Here's what is missed. That was prior to the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus. When Christ rose from the dead, the Bible says that, look, behold, I now hold the keys to, uh, I'll, I'll read it to you. Revelation. I think it's Revelation 3.10. I'm wrong. It's Revelation 1.18. I don't even know what 3.10 is. Jesus said, Jesus saying, I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. So once Jesus died and rose again, he now holds the keys of death and Hades, death, hell, and the grave. He holds those keys. And so now when we die, we don't go to a holding place. We go immediately before judgment with God. Once you die, it's done. There's not a, once you, once you die, your decision has been made. Hebrews 9 27 says, and just as it is important for a man to die once and after that comes judgment. So man die once and after that comes judgment. I understand that there's, once you die, your decision is sealed. Your decision is, your decision is sealed. And, and Catholic people wouldn't necessarily disagree that your decision is, is not sealed. They would just say that you go to purgatory and hang out there for a little while. Your decision's sealed, but you know, you have to do some works to be able to get up there. No, that's not the way that it works. When you die, you either go to heaven or you go to hell. You, when, um, uh, when the Apostle Paul talks about the prospect of dying, he says, I'm torn between two worlds. In one way, I want to be here with you. But in the other, I want to go and be with the Lord. I want to go and be with the Lord. The Apostle Paul doesn't say, I want to, you know, maybe go be to the Lord, with the Lord, but I might have to hang out in purgatory for some time. In fact, the purgatory is not mentioned, um, is not mentioned anywhere uh, in the Bible. Uh, or the idea of purgatory is not mentioned anywhere in the Bible other than Abraham's bosom. And uh, after the resurrection of Christ, it's not even thought of. The only thing that's ever talked about is eternal life and eternal glory with God. So purgatory is not a biblical idea. Um, maybe, uh, you, you know, actually, I need to read this scripture too. That's right. Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one. When Jesus died, here's what happened. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This represents that we now have access available to God. How so? Well, the temple veil was between the rest of the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was the place in which God's presence dwelt. 
When the temple veil ripped in Torah into two, it represented now that we have direct access to God. Direct access to God. And so <coughs> we have now direct access to God. That was probably loud for you because I punched that. Um, but you, you now have direct access to God. And so the, the reality is, is that Christ's sacrifice broke this idea of a purgatory, of a purgatory. And I'll tell you this, there's really no reason to pray for somebody once they die. Pray for their family that they have peace. Don't pray for the person that's dead. They're even either in heaven or in hell at that moment. Oh, hopefully heaven. Next, papal infallibility. Papal infallibility. <sighs> yeah, I mean, the Pope's just not infallible. Uh, sorry, I mean, I mean, uh, Again, I know this is going to make some Catholic people uh, their blood boil, but uh, and and again, I'm not saying I, I disrespect the Pope in any way or anything like that, and I understand that you guys uh, hold him as a very holy man and such, but uh, he's a guy. He's a guy, yeah, anointed, sure, you know, you say he's anointed by God, a man of God, you know, whatever. I understand that, you know, in, in, uh, in Protestant circles, we have men of God too, especially in Pentecostal circles. We value men and women of God and all that stuff. But guess what? Even those men and women of God make mistakes sometimes. And I know that that some that if a Catholic were to ever watch, they would say, well, we think that the Pope makes mistakes too, but not when talking about Bible doctrine. That, that, that's a fine line, and, and here's why. If we say that whenever anybody is talking, when somebody is talking about the Bible, they can never be wrong, then they can say whatever they want about the Bible and not be checked. I remember that there was a pope that, that said that, that uh, approved of gay marriage. That doesn't make it okay because the Bible says it's not okay. That doesn't make it okay just because the, just because the pope says it's okay. The, and, and you know what? It, it, who is in the Catholic faith? Who was the first pope? The Pope, the first Pope was Peter. The first Pope was Peter in the Catholic Church. Actually, before I go there, let me just say this. If everyone should just believe the Pope is infallible, Paul would have never told the Bereans that it was a good idea for them to check and see if what he told them was true. He, hear me on this. We need to be searching the scripture whenever anybody's preaching. I hope that when I'm talking right now, you're searching the scripture and you're checking what I'm saying. You need to actually look at the word of God first and foremost. It doesn't matter who's talking. It doesn't matter how much you trust that person. Even when many my students trust me so much, I know they do. I know that if I told some of them something, that they would believe it. But they also know, I will say, I've taught my students this. I've said things before. My students have come to me and asked me to show them it in the word of God. And I applaud that type of, uh, type of uh, looking into the things that I'm saying because I am a man and I'm not perfect. And guess what? The Pope is a man and he's not perfect either. Even when he's talking about the Bible. And I'll give you proof. proof. Peter, who is said to be the first Pope, was corrected in the Bible for hypocrisy when speaking about Bible doctrine. Ready? There was a situation, and uh, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna look it up because I want to read it to you. There it is, Galatians chapter two. I'm gonna go there. Oh, I'm going there. Galatians chapter two. I'm having a good time, man. 
I have a good time with my life. I like just talking about the Bible and teaching people it. Understand this. This will help some somebody that might be called to ministry that's watching this right now. You just have to understand that, like, if you're anointed, God will help you be able to, to do it. When you, when you get a microphone in front of you, if you're truly anointed uh, by, by God and his anointing rests on you, God will help you be, be able to say what you need to say. Uh, j- just, just trust me on that. Um, don't ever, how can I ever stand up there and preach and all stuff? If you're anointed, God will help you. That doesn't mean you shouldn't study. That doesn't mean you shouldn't pray and do all the things. I do all that stuff. But I'm saying if you're anointed, God will help you. And there's a lot of people that stand behind the pulpit that that preach that are just simply not anointed. And that's why, you know, that when they preach, it's just like, what what are we listening to right now? What is this? Uh, anyway, it's not at all what we're talking about. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people, who instead of the necessity of who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So, what happened? Peter, he was like. Yeah, we shouldn't be eating with those with those dirty Gentiles and all that stuff. And he sat with the sat with all the uh, uh, all the um, uh, you know Jewish people. Or I'm sorry, back up. He sat with the Gentile people, and he thought it was okay, and there was no issue with it. But then, when these Judaizer, when these Ju- Judaizer people came, and these Jewish people came that had a different opinion, he decided to go against the word of God, and he decided to go sit. Uh, to not sit with the Gentiles anymore. Now, where does this matter Bible doctrine-wise? Here's why. One thing to understand is that the Gentiles were grafted into the family of God, that because of the sacrifice of Christ, salvation was made available for all. And so the Jews and the Gentiles now both can coexist in this Christi- uh, through Christ, and they're united as one in Christ. When people give their life to Christ, it doesn't matter if they're Jew or Gentile. Christ is all that matters, is what the Bible says. And so what happened is that Peter, he, uh, some Judaizers, there was a group of people called Judaizers, they didn't agree with that necessarily. They were, they were not okay with the Gentile people. They, they had a problem with them because they were not Jewish uh, by, uh, by birth. And so, um, not talking about the religion, talking about the actual, you know, were you Jewish by birth type of thing. And so it kind of goes hand to hand. But anyway, that's besides the point. But, Peter, he ate with the Gentile people. He was fine to hang out with them and coexist with them. And then when these other people come, he was like, yeah, we don't eat with those Gentile people. There he is being wrong about talking about the uh, talking about Bible understanding. He was wrong. And guess what Paul did? Paul said, hey, you're wrong. And it's in the word of God that he was wrong. There it is. So the idea that the Pope can never be wrong can even be debunked by the fact that Peter was the first Pope. Moving along, lastly, confession. Confession. Confession's an interesting one. Here's why. Protestants miss it in some areas and Catholics miss it in some areas. Why? Again, I told you, I'm married to the word of God. James chapter 5. James chapter 5. I'll go there. James chapter 5. Beginning in verse 
16. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So what does the Bible say? Confess your sins to each other. Okay, so there is a place in the Bible to confess your sin to somebody else. Now, you're not confessing your sin to that person because they're forgiving you, but there is a place for telling somebody, confessing your sin to them. And the Bible, the Bible says that when you confess your sin to one another, uh, and, then it, and then it says, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So you confess that sin, there's prayer that's offered up to who? To God, not to that person, offered up to God. And so then, and then uh, the Bible says they will be healed as a result. Now, hear me on this. The, the Protestant church will miss this sometimes. There is a place to go to your friend and to say to them, hey, listen, I messed up. Can you pray with me? There's a place for that. But the Bible also says in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. There is a repentance that takes place before God when we sin, certainly. But there's also, and there's nothing wrong with going to your friend and asking them to pray with you when you're struggling and dealing with sin. But what the Catholic Church teaches is this. Confession started with the idea that I actually think might, isn't necessarily a bad thing. Listen, if you have an issue, you know, the, like you, if, if you sinned, did something wrong, come and, uh, come and tell the priest, uh, the, the priest about it. And we'll pray, to, uh, what's it called? We'll pray together. Uh, we'll pray together, we'll offer up prayer to God, and there'll be forgiveness of your sin. Okay, that's fine, because God is the one forgiving the sin. And what it was doing, it was, it was holding people accountable for what they were doing. And that, that makes sense, I get that, but what it's turned into is now all I have to do is go tell the father, my, uh, you know, the father, that's what they call, you know, the, the priest, you know, father, you know, so-and-so, my sin, and he'll say, okay, you know, I guess five Hail Marys and three Our Fathers. And then it just becomes a religious prayer and there's no actual repentance of sin. Where it's just, Our Father, Our Father, Our Father, and you say it three more times as fast as you possibly can with no true repentance because repentance is actually turning your back on sin. No actual desire to turn your back on sin in that prayer saying, God, Forgive me for what for the sin that I've done. I confess this sin to you and I turn my back on it. That is true repentance right there. And I've talked about true repentance on this podcast before. But understand that. Get that today. That telling your friend that you messed up and made a mistake and you guys praying together and, and you asking God for uh, forgiveness of your sin, that's fine. I'm not against that. Uh, because the Bible's not against it. That's why this old thing is not about what Joey thinks. You know, Pastor Joey thinks this, Pastor Joey thinks that. It's about what the Bible says. And so the Bible says that you can confess your sin to one another and then pray, offer up prayer to God and you'll be healed. But it doesn't say, go to your priest, tell your priest, you know, that thing. Well, you know, okay, you could say, all right, but, the, but you, know, that, you know, the priest could be the person I confess to. Okay, fine. But there needs to be prayer that you offer up to God that is genuine from your heart that actually is repentant, not just me reciting a couple of fun prayers. Now, hear me on this. Some Catholic churches have even resorted to, it's not even you saying the prayer anymore. Now the priest says the prayer for you. That's not true repentance either. So that's confession. And then the last thing I'll say is this, and, and I'm not going to get into it too much. <coughs> 
The Catholic Bible adds the Apocrypha to the Protestant Bible. So they got all the same books we got, except they add the, the, the Apocrypha into it. And the reality is, is that the Apocrypha contradicts Scripture time and time again, and it contradicts so many, so many principles of Scripture. I literally wrote a whole paper on it. I'm not going to get into grave detail, but let me just start here. We know that the Bible is inerrant means it's without error. That means what it says is true. Everything it says it's true, even historical material. There is literally a statement in the Apocrypha that says Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Assyria. No, he wasn't. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. Not inerrant. There's an automatic issue with that. Now, again, that's one passage. I can get into it way more. I'm not going to right now. But this book right here is inspired by God. The Apocrypha, They might be good historical resources or whatever, but they're not inspired by God. They're not. They're not inspired by God. So that's that's the difference between uh, Protestant and Catholic. And again, yes, I argued this from a Protestant point of view mostly, uh, and and, and I understand that. But I hope that you could see that I went back to the Word of God with everything that I said. Uh, I I, uh, was not trying to insert my own opinions. I was simply looking at the scripture from a fair uh, point of view. Uh, Understand that, um, you know, I'm not the type of guy that, you know, if, you know, my denomination or my, you know, my belief system is challenged with facts that I'm just going to ignore them. I look at the word of God and I see what it really says. And what this book says is what I really want to believe. Understand that. You know, I'm Pentecostal. If there's a Pentecostal doctrine that's challenged in the word of God, I'm going to look into it and I'm going to see what the Bible really says about it. I just happen to think that the Bible is, that Pentecostal doctrine is mostly in line with the word of God uh, properly. Um, But anyway, that's what I have for you guys today. I hope you enjoyed this teaching on uh, Catholic versus uh, Protestant. And uh, I hope that it made made sense to you. Uh, Let me pray for you before you go. Uh, Father, I thank you for every single uh, person that's watching this. Father, I pray uh, that you would uh, reveal in your word, Father, uh, to people that are watching this right now, what your word really says. I pray that they'd be hungry to search your word and find truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope to see you back next week. Thank you for listening to the Uncanceled Podcast. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by the teaching today. If you are between the grades of 5th through 12th grade, make sure to check us out in person at Faith Church in New Milford, Connecticut every Wednesday night from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Be sure to tune in next week for another weekly podcast from Uncanceled. God bless. God bless.